Welcome to Gear Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Uh, we're live. I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me at Stromro. I am joined since I haven't been regular at all, uh, uh, sort of, as always, I guess, by Craig Rodelli. Uh, you can find him at MMFlyHalf on Twitter and uh, Josh Fredland in Late Speak. Josh Fred. Um, so, uh, you guys like uh, like Week 10? Uh, I did like Week 10. I thought, uh, you know, entertaining spread of games, you know, a lot of different features from conference rivalries to weather to, to you know table movements so uh you know lots weather of talk about weather was delicious i thought i like not having all the games on top of each other um what are you talking about two of them were at the same time <laughs> yeah they were spread out that relative to i had to watch uh <laughs> rocky says he did not like week 10 yeah i can understand bud i can understand but Rucky, we've we've really advanced the cause of Ruck Justice, the show, and I think uh, I think we're getting close. I think we're getting close. So contact got, agent. Oh, so we've got like five crime fighters now because we've added Rookie into the mix since you're all like hang out with him. Um, but I guess uh, the Jackals are gonna um, launch a uh, a mascot too. Um, make sure it has a better better name than Woogie, though. We need to make sure that. Yeah, which one was Woody? That's New England. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked my my in-laws, who all live in the Boston area, about the Woody, and they were not familiar with such a creature. So uh, at least if if it's any kind of local lore, I'm I'm not aware of it. The best best name, like, if if you had to pick, probably between Rocky, uh, what was it, who – was it scratch? It's scratch. 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 Um, I, I mean, I think the Utah mascot, whose name I do not know. Uh, oh, it's Koa the Panther. Koa the Panther Koa should be the. I mean, that is a terrifying mascot. I think Ruck Justice should be about you know catching Koa the Panther, who's a crime lord, and uh, Ruck. You know, Rucky's the detective, and kind of one of those old film noir, like you know, black and white hat with a little ticket in it. Investigating. <laughs> does does Nola still have their mascot? Uh yeah. Oh oh man, how have we forgotten um King Creole? He's solid. I he's mean, like chief of police. That's always skeptical of Rucky's antics. You know, but, uh, he's a king. He's a king. <laughs> he, so like there, you, yeah. King Creole is uh is the commissioner of the uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, he's police commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> That, and, uh, that, that is true. Yeah, we're does, getting very, we're getting very close to having uh, a deaf. We need to get this written and then syndicated on the rugby network. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> it's the first, maybe it's the first rugby network, uh, like actual original production. And yeah, exactly. And we get we get royalty. <laughs> I don't even need royalties. I'll, I'll write the script for the first episode of Ruck Justice. If we could, uh, if we can get the mascots to cooperate, we'll make a, we can make like a fan film. Hey, dude. Um, hey, if, if we ever get an MLR game, we need the mascot game mode from NCAA football. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Oh, man. 
But, uh, you know, when it comes to royalties, I know a dude who was on two episodes of, not Seinfeld, Happy Days as a kid, and two episodes of Matlock as a kid. And that equated to, uh, he did, his parents, I guess, did royalties for his contract and, like, made his base for, he was an extra, like a recurring extra. Um, made his base really low and did uh, royalties in perpetuity. And uh, the rest of his life, he makes $2,000 a month um, for, for four episodes as an extra as a child. Good, good on him. I mean, not happy days awesome. indeed. Um, so that's cool. Um, did you guys watch the, uh, the, the challenge cup or the, um, the champions cup, the Heineken cup this weekend? I caught bits and pieces. I watched yeah. the celebration at the end, but, uh, I, I, I caught like the first half of the champions cup. Caught the whole champions cup, not all of the challenge cup, but the stupid thing is like, of course, like you have Southern hemisphere, the way Southern hemisphere is refed, um, Blatant red cards in the Northern Hemisphere wouldn't even be a penalty in the Southern Hemisphere. And you had uh, SA Rugby Mag editorial um, saying to the referees to put the cards away because they took away from the game. I was like, the red card in that game, what are you drinking? Um, what, 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 yeah, but what's the line? red card of my own? Uh, you made that in the toilet? <laughs> no, yeah, just a, a casual Naomi, uh, you know, we bought, we had a, a party for uh, my kid's birthday probably a month ago now. And uh, in planning for the party, I, I consulted Google as to how much alcohol I should buy. And <laughs> among other things, it told me two cases of wine, which I don't know what a case of wine, or I did not know what a case of wine. How many parents were there? That's, it was 40 people. Uh that, that constitutes 12 bottles of how wine. Many, how many adults? Four, 40 adults. So, uh, so, so, okay, so how many kids were there? Uh, I don't know, 10, but the kids are two, so they're like, they, you know, they weren't drinking any wine. 40 adults, and you went for two, so 12 bottles, all right. Per case. So I got 24 yeah. bottles of wine. I think a half bottle of wine was drank on the night. So I have no if if they're wine drinkers and you guys were gonna have an adult party, which we should probably do sometime as like members of the show. Justice debut. Yeah, Rock Justice debut. We can do a a raclette dinner and uh you know, um have some wine and crush a case of wine. Yeah, but in the meantime, I have just boxes of wine on the floor in my living room, and my wife's ordered me to get rid of them, so we're getting rid of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was a red card that was pretty blatant. Uh, dude, with some force, dude's shoulder went straight into a guy's neck like, and connected with the chin, so there was head contact. Um, so... And I was like reading this article. I was like, "This is just so strange. Do you people not understand?" <laughs> but it, like, uh, I was watching because when I watched the Aotearoa final, there was a blatant red card call, and it was a penalty. Yeah, okay. yeah. But um, thought it was an interesting game. Uh, definitely thought Toulouse, uh, even if it was fifteen on fifteen, we're really in a good place to. 
uh, come away with that win, just sort of the squad is and really how they were both playing. Cause I think both teams at one point were four, it was 14 on 14 and it, you know um, you can't keep kicking penalties if you keep conceding yellows and hope to, because while you're kicking penalties, the other team's scoring tries because you've conceded a bunch of yellow cards. Um, so there was that. Uh, and then there was a red card, another red card in the um, in one of the MLR games, which we'll get to and discuss sort of the judicial system when it comes to that. Uh, uh, so, man, I always do this, but uh, let's get to the first game. Uh, yeah, so sort of midweek. We had some midweek action. You guys did a sort of live pod last week uh, reacting to the second half after you did the, the first half uh, just going over stuff. But um, really, I think Austin's defense is for real, and I think that they've been that way for a while. The issue you run into is they have no attack at all. Um, you got the way and the way uh, – just the the offensive efficiency of Los Angeles. Uh, they don't really do a lot inside the five meter. I mean, they do a lot of line out and drive, but most of their tries come from outside, like the twenty two. And you look at this, and that it was basically the same. Uh, I thought Austin kicked and missed a penalty uh, when they should have. Like it was towards the end of the second first half when they should have had the penalty, so they should have kicked to the corner and uh, tried for a line out and get some points because clearly they they didn't even get close to being able to kick for points uh, in the second half. Yeah, well, that that was a highly debated subject at the time on our on our live companion pod. Uh, so that for those who were watching will recall, I disagreed with that statement. I mean, look at it. They did that later in the game, and they never scored. Uh, I mean, it, I don't see why all of a sudden, because you have a penalty, when you can't break the game line, that you think you could just kick to for touch and and maul it a try. I mean, they they never showed that they had that capacity. They no, it's like it's a statistics thing, and where you are in the game, and where you're at in the game is the the clock's going to tick over very soon, and. You have a bat. You're going to have a poor kick anyways. So. Well, you're going to have a poor kick anyways. I mean, you don't know that. It was a very kickable penalty. It's. I think it's a weighted. Was it a kickable penalty? Was it? Was it? Because yeah. uh, because it, it looked like a zero. Yeah. Went, okay. Well, they also way. kicked a touch later in, in the second half, and they sco- didn't score a try. So I guess they had no hope anyway, right? Well, I mean, at that point, made. they were exhausted. Oh, okay. They were more exhausted in the early in the second half after halftime yeah. at the end of the first half. Oh yeah. Come on, think about it. Like think about how many times they were forced to tackle LA. Because the way LA plays their attack, you do a really good job of explaining this in some of your articles, but they have good support running, bipodal it's a bipodal system for the most part, even on their line breaks. You you very very rarely have someone uh, on their own, and you're able to offload, and then they just go in for they, they the guy who receives the ball in the offload goes in ten meters because they, they made the break, um, and 
I agree with Scott here. Momentum was lost. Momentum. Yeah, well, if they made the kick, though. Momentum would have been gained. But yeah. if you miss a kick, you lose momentum. I, I wasn't. I'm not, I don't advocate they miss the kick. I advocate they take and make the kick. You know, I they did. I think Angus Cottrell kind of exposed a weakness. That, more so, exposed a weakness that a Austin, lot of weaknesses that Austin had, and that they don't defend straight over the ruck. I think we've seen a couple teams take oh advantage God. of that. That was um, yeah, he put he put Ragberg in for a try that we saw Ragberg put a pretty decent kick in as well. That probably got him on the, in Gary Gold's eye. That probably got him on the squad. But you know, Ragberg's come along pretty nicely, and he's he's always been a great finisher. But you know, it was nice to see him at least put a little bit more to his game you know, into play. I mean, we've I've seen Ryberg kick more than a few times. He doesn't kick a lot. Uh, it's usually. And I said on Twitter, he's usually pretty good for like two or three of those a season, not two or three of those a game. Um, really, to, to dig into like the difference in what happened with, uh, you know, just from a territory perspective and from uh, like how bad of a dip, well, not really how bad, but so. What's the, what do you think the meters gain difference was? Because the difference in in uh, in kicking meters is not that m- much. And I think I look at the way LA plays in attack, and it reminds me of when Dave Williams was in his second year at Glendale, and they changed their attack to the one three two two, which is actually what both Austin and uh, LA are doing with some different, a bunch of different options than it's more, it's more in depth, but the way they're playing, what the heck is that? Uh, Somebody probably has something going outside with some sort of engine. That was me. The way they're playing is the way uh, Glendale sort of played, except the the difference between them and Glendale the second year is that uh, they don't give up the ball. Or they can get the ball back. Um, like they, they pass a lot, they offload a ton, force people to tackle. Um, but I, I, I thought that was going to be a problem. Um, so, you know. Yeah. I was excited for Ruben de Haas to start. Um, but I think you know, it's going to take a, a little bit to get his legs under him here with a new team. I, I think that's understandable. But I thought it was, I mean, they, every time Austin got inside the, LA 22, they just looked like they had no idea what to do next. They were like, here, you try a run. And they just like randomly throw it to somebody standing still. They could run, not make the game line, and then, you know, Ruben would trot over and they'd do it again. There was no like, there's going to be no thought to it. There was no creativity, nothing to change it up. It was just very idealist. Uh, and they, you know, they didn't score. I, I think they were really missing Roger Waters when they got inside the 22. You know, he's he's been a consistent finisher for them. He's he's one of those players that, you know, you have to keep an eye on or he's going to hurt you. And most of his damage has been done inside the 22. And I, I feel like he was – him and Connor Mooneyham were, were yeah. both out and both were big keys for them yeah. with what little offensive power they have. Yeah, I think – I mean <sighs> – I think Hodson is more of a 12. I, I I didn't think Morath gave them what they needed for a sort of second 5 eights kind of 
in in the midfield and where Hodson has done most of his damage for uh, for Austin has been as a center. And so if you just look at Cole Davis really hasn't had the chance to play a lot recently in part because he was coming back from injury and he had to play a total of 80. He had to play all 80. Like that's where he was. Um, so they're missing Mooneyham. They're missing Waters. They're missing Zinzan. They're missing Frank Hawaii. Like as far as back lines that have been banged up, uh, you know, their back three has been banged up quite regularly in, in this season. If you and then you add to the fact that they've lost uh, locks for weeks at a time, they haven't lost locks for the season, but they've lost locks for weeks at a time. It's been a problem, but I, I just for whatever reason, I'm not I'm not seeing a lack of connection between. They're nine and ten. Um, whether it's uh, May I Mason or Takali or DeHaas Takali uh, that much as much as it's whatever they're doing is just not really working. Um, it's not yeah. like whereas there was definite a lack of connection between in with like what the forward pack was doing and what the back line was doing in Houston a couple of years ago. It was like they wanted to play a certain way, but they I'm not to say not to say that they weren't fit enough. It was just like one one part of the team wanted to play a different way and one part of the team wanted to play the other. And that's not what we're seeing here as much as it's sort of just not working. And I think the concepts they're using may be too complicated, sort of what uh uh New England was trying early in the season, and that's how they lost that run of games early up on in the season. So, and, but the one thing that has kept them in games for Austin has just been this big focus on physical defense that they play, but you talked about the rock, Josh. I mean, they're soft at the rock, not only defensively, but on attack, like, you know, Cottrell basically blew through that. And then Hout blew through that rock, those attacking rocks, like, you know, like, you know, freaking water through a sieve. It was it was pretty bad. Why? One of the one of the other things that I think was brought up in our in our watch along was it looked like Ruben DeHaas went to the Sean Davies School of box kicks. Well, he was very slow to the rock, and he was very slow passing out of the rock. And I would say he deserves some of the blame for the blow ups at the rock. So hopefully, if he starts this week. He's far more rapid there. Yeah. Um, I mean, just someone on that awesome team has to be a, a, a ball-carrying threat to draw some defenders and create space for someone else to do something. I mean, right now there's just that, especially without Moody Ham and, and Waters, there's just no attacking threat. Yeah. And so the attack had just no creativity to it. it. There was no need for the defense to be worried about it. They just came up, made the tackle, and recycled. There was there was never there was no space being created because they weren't trying anything that put pressure on the defense. Utah 24, 29, New Orleans. Josh. Uh you know this this game was very close throughout. Um, Nola had Nola had the advantage or Nola ended up winning, but they were behind for a good portion. Um they had, uh, Utah had about 752 uh, meters carried. 
Nola had 700. Uh, Nola actually had a very big advantage in kicking meters, about a 230 meter kicking difference. Um, they conceded about six more penalties. Uh, but, you know, this was arguably a game that Utah could have won. Um, you know, they had that yellow card near the 60th minute that probably cost them, or actually that did cost them, considering Kyle Rogers scored right around that time. But, you know, that like this, Utah has a chance to get that second playoff spot, and this was a game that they should have won to give them that chance, and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but how good, how well coached is Nola? Like, I'm not saying like that when I pick against them, they're doing things that they shouldn't be able to do right now with the amount of injuries they've had, at, you know, at the fly half position, um, at various other positions on the field, at center, at wing, uh, in the forwards. I think the one thing that's really been where they've actually been healthy is, is the front row, which obviously having a healthy tight head and having a healthy front row is a huge, huge thing. But Matt Harmon with the nod for the 41 man uh, Eagles camp. Yeah. I mean, he's been playing. I wouldn't say he's been playing great this year. He's been having a great two years because we go back to the shortened season last year. He was playing very well. And this year, obviously he has been playing very well. Again, and then it's so it's funny because yeah. some people are going, I didn't know he was American qualified. And I'm like, well, he isn't qualified for any other country because he was born here. Yeah, I thought he was coming into this season. We talked about this. I thought he was Canadian for some reason, but <laughs> yeah, American, obviously. And Dino Waldron, too, right? Both of their props are uh, are in the 41 man USA rosters. It's pretty good, uh, pretty good representation there for a front row. So. You know, for the longest time, I thought Harmon was Canadian too, Craig, so don't worry. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess, like, Noah just has a lot of front row Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> one front row Canadian, yeah. Well, uh, hey, you, you, were, you were mentioning the front row health. Um, actually, uh, Eric Howard did go off with an injury, and Pat O'Toole did come back on. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I think if I'm Nate Osborne, and Nate Osborne likes guys that have been there from the beginning, but – I am starting Pat O'Toole every other game because Eric Howard has some work to do with his line-out throwing. It just hasn't been consistent in his starts and when he's been off the bench. And, well, Pat O'Toole has uh, been very consistent with his line-out throwing and been very consistent with capitalizing on poor line-out throws from other hookers, uh, namely Sam Malolo in this one. Like uh, – Talk about a set piece that is a mess. Is yeah. I mean, they have locks to go up in the air, like Jerry Van Veren and Aston Fortain, you know, plenty good to go up in the air and come down with the line out. And, you know, they, they talk about another team that has lock injuries. James Mockey's out. Matt Jensen's out. Um, but Sam below, I – where was he throwing? I because mean, this is like this season, lineup throws are just so inconsistent. Of all the things that were weird at the beginning of the year, that have mostly, you know, kind of improved or, or tightened up, and now you wouldn't think 
we've missed any time. The lineouts are still, uh, I think, way worse than they have been in previous years. It's a better strategy to just have a person ready to catch the overthrow and it plan to attack than to actually just use your lineout as an attacking platform. I mean, well, at this point, you'd think that they would have improved. But I would say the lineout throwing across the league is dropping as it's the season goes. Like, it's pretty bad. Uh, we LA seem to like every day be over 80% in lineouts. I mean, I, I don't know. That's just a guess, but I mean, that's how it seems. Uh, moving on to DC 21, 13 uh, Houston, uh, Craig. Yeah. You know, entertaining game in the sense that, uh, you know, real bad weather, uh, you know, really punctuated the game from, from the start. Uh Added a lot of weird elements. I, I think Houston was hard done by the weather. Frankly, I think they, you know, they, they rely a little bit more on, uh, you know, carrying ball in hand, short, you know, kicking type of game. Where, whereas DC had Jason Robertson, who probably played his best game of the year. It was absolutely outstanding, especially with the tactical kicking, and so valuable when you know the teams can't hold on to the ball because of the rain. Uh, still, it was back and forth. Houston was winning a, a couple of occasions, including in the second half. Uh, you know, a ball had kind of squirted free, and, and Houston, you know, touched it down for a try to take the lead. Um, in the end, you know, DC had pulled back ahead, and uh, in about the 70th minute, on a high ball uh, kicked by by DC, uh, eight man from Old Glory, Jameson Fon on a Schultz came charging up on the kick chase, sort of upended the jumper. Uh, you know, it didn't look hostile per se, but that to me definitely looked like very dangerous. Uh, you know, certainly I think you know, big mistake. You know, it was obviously a card uh, and uh, he got a red card and he was sent off. And you, and at that point um, they were only down five. Uh, Houston was only down five, I believe. So Game was still at reach. They would have had a man advantage for the last 10 minutes, but uh, they even then they could not hold on to the ball. The weather was just too bad. Uh, they, they continuously knocked it on. And eventually Jameson Rob, or, uh, James Robertson uh, iced it with a drop goal. Uh, so, it, you know, put a – yeah, with the whatever the eventual score was there, 21-13, I think you said. Uh so, yeah, I mean, D.C., good win on the road. D.C.'s climbing up the standings. Uh, I thought it was a, a okay performance from Houston, all things considered. I think if the weather hadn't – I picked Houston. I think if the weather hadn't been what it was, I think Houston had a, a decent – Thank you for picking the wrong team so that we at least stayed even um, <laughs> for the week. For the week. But who's ahead overall? Yeah, right now. Right now. Uh, right now. Right now. Uh, barely. Yeah, so uh, I, I did pick Houston. I, I think if, if it had been good weather, I, I would still pick Houston uh, for that one. But, uh, you know, Robertson was the difference in a game where you couldn't really move the ball on the ground. You know, he moved it in the air, and that was that was what uh, what made the difference for me. I think the interesting, like, uh, meters made, uh, D.C. made uh, 100 less. Uh, kicking, uh, they accounted for – uh, like 85 more meters. Uh, the big difference in this game, really tackle percentage, they were at 88%. Uh, they conceded three less turnovers. And uh, the biggest thing here was uh, set piece uh, success. 
They were at 93% for their scrum and 86% for their line out, which uh, the set piece for Houston has just, I would say at the scrum, they still have some dominant uh, uh, props, but they're just, I don't know what's going on. They're just not being successful. I thought Solveira had a really good game, um, obviously, but as a unit, their front row is not doing very well. Um, and, you know, which is interesting because DC doesn't – I wouldn't say they have a good scrub. I'd say it's probably one of the worst ones. Or uh, I would say they're one of the worst ones because they're so inconsistent. Because they can have some games where they just are lights out uh, in the scrum, and then they can have some games where they are awful, um, which is better than they were last year. <laughs> so, uh, on to your game, which you did not make the jersey for, but you did make the correct pick somehow. Um, because picking a team on form in the Eastern Conference is impossible. <laughs> um, but uh, except for Atlanta. Except for Atlanta, right? Yeah. Except this, I don't know. If I this week, play. yeah. Uh, so New, New England 1929 uh, New York. Yeah, I mean, I think that final score um, doesn't reflect how close it was. I mean, New England was in it. Uh, New England was in it, yeah, pretty much the whole way. It was a late try from New York to give him the 10 point lead. Um, you know, it wasn't, I don't think either side played outstanding. New York, um, was you know, there was first of all the really significant win problems and both teams when they had the win at their back had some massive okay. win problems, sure, but that that wind has been that bad at that field in the same direction every single totally. game. And you would think that you know, veterans like Andy Ellis and Ben Foden, who saw Boyle from New England kick it dead from his own 20 twice, uh, would know that would have made that kind of adjustment and not done it themselves, but here we are, and they both also then in the second half did the same thing. So that, that was pretty that almost like that was the most effective play of either team was having the other team kick it dead from way in their own zone. Um, but you know, uh, Fawcett for New York played well. That New York did score two mall tries, so their lineup is getting a little better. Um, you know, I there's not really much to say. It was special. I think both teams played pretty evenly. No one, you know. Without Hollinshead in New York, um, I thought Harry Bennett played okay. Hollinshead with the way Harry Harry's playing. Yeah, I thought he played okay. You know, he scored a try on you know play where he didn't do anything, but happened to be on the wing, uh, which was weird in the first place. You know, uh, there were there was some good there was some good um, like mid phase passing. Yeah, where yeah Ben Foden, I think a couple times, you know, got some good passes out wide. other than that, it was just a hard-fought kind of grudge battle, uh, you know, real physical. New England's, uh, you know, a, a, a strong side. They always they, – they seem to thrive on creating mistakes and then using that as a transition to attack, and that's kind of how they score. They don't really generate, like, you know, drives from their own zone – or they work the ball up the field and score. They rarely do. Uh, so, yeah, they, they you could see their press defense crashing up, trying to give New York problems, and occasionally they did, but just, uh, you know, wasn't quite enough in this particular one. And, uh, 
you know, that, that last try for New York, um, you know, kept New England from getting the bonus points. So tough day on the standings, uh, dropped into last. They have not won a game in the East. Uh, so it's, an interesting, it's an interesting game because they're pretty even on meters made. Uh, line breaks are even, passes are even, turnover turnovers conceded are even, um, tackles are pretty even. Uh, but the the real difference here, because uh, like the, the differential in set piece is pretty decent, but for New England in favor, the real difference I think was the quick ball for New York, and then the fact that New England uh, made six more infringements than uh, yeah. A lot of those in the scrum are early on, especially well, overall in the first half, but including in the scrum. Uh, you know, in, yeah, in the first half, which is getting dinged every two seconds with a penalty. Uh, moving on to the final game of the weekend. Uh, you know, with the way this game started, you almost thought that uh, uh, Seattle was going to win. I don't know why I had the score inversed on our rundown, but whatever. Um, uh, six to Seattle, the home side, and 25 points to uh, Atlanta. I think they've really sort of found uh, what they're looking for in their back line, especially with everyone sort of healthy. Uh, Bautista Escura doesn't have to play out of position, and he can be very much a very front foot and attacking player. Uh for for Atlanta, and you saw that with his two tries where he just gutted it and you know put the foot on the accelerator to get into the truck to the end goal. One on a seven point try, and the other on a on a regular try. Uh, but uh, uh, it's in, the the scrum half position is very interesting for Atlanta because I think they have like three that are probably pretty good, um, and they keep platooning them um, in a way that's interesting. Um, it's like Deacon or Howes will be on for 40 minutes and Reeves will be on for 40 minutes and Ben Skulkbike will be on for 40 minutes. They're, I, I'm not saying no one's getting a rhythm, but no one's really actually getting consistent time at the position. Um, but Reeves is going up to the studio today as well. I, guess you, I mean, if, you're, if your chemistry with your fly half is that good, maybe you don't need to to go it like 60, 70 minutes with your, with your nine. And, you know, uh, I think finally having Carlsa there, you get the, the level of play that Coleman brought um, to the position and you get the kicking that Coleman brought to the position and he's just really creative in his distribution and, you know, you're able to cut through, uh, but the interesting thing here really is I don't I look at this game and I don't know how how they won because it's crazy. Uh, they made 50 more tackles. Uh, they conceded eight more penalties. Uh, they had a slower ruck. They made less breakdown steals. They won less of their lineout. But guess what? Uh, what would I? What would we call the five meters? The five meter between the five meter line and uh, the 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 goal line for the for Atlanta? Would we call it the snake pit or something? Because inside the snake pit, 
that defense is probably in this game was as good of any defense I've ever seen in this league so far in a one game sample. And especially in the second half when they spent 20 minutes down a man. Yeah. They're, they're good. Like, they're good defense. They're, they're such a well-coached team in Atlanta, but man, they have a brutal schedule coming up. So I, uh, they, they may have found something in Carl say, I think he does really add, uh, you know, he's like, a piece that makes the puzzle fit together back there, but man, they're going to need it because uh, looking at what they have coming up, it's going to be ugly. Yeah, I, I've had the chance to go to um, Atlanta's post-game press conferences these past couple of weeks, and one one of the questions I had asked um, in, after his first game at, at Fly Half was, "Why'd you put him there?" Because you know he had been that X factor at fifteen, he'd been that playmaker from deep, and. Um, head coach Scott Lawrence's response was he brings a calming presence to the position. He's able to see he's that's those were literally his words. You can go back and watch it. He yeah. he's able to see the field well and he's able to direct Atlanta's attack. Yeah. I remember he was on MLR kickoff a couple of weeks back, maybe it was a month ago now. And I remember talking to him and he's like, No, I came here, I wanted to play fly half. Like I, like obviously, uh, Steve Brett was like, "Well, you just got off the plane and you're going straight into a game, and we need you to start. Um, you're not playing fly half this week. We'll see how it goes." Uh, and he had a pretty good game at 15, like sort of not really integrated into the system. One day of practice and sort of, you know, played played pretty well. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, he was he was a player of the week, right? Um, but I mean, when you have a really good fly half, especially in this league, it changes things significantly because you have teams that had a decent fly half that lose a decent fly half and they're dead in the water. Um, See Seattle. Um, Now that they have a good fly half uh, in versus a center playing fly half um, who hasn't really played fly half ever uh, and had to learn on the job, um, his distribution, Kieran Joyce's distribution got better. His kicking got better. Even kick for sticks, like under pressure, he was getting better. But having Alatimu's better, it makes them, they are playing better. But, uh, you know, they, Seattle's going to struggle. Whereas for Atlanta, I mean, they've always been a tough defensive team. And if they seem to have figured their attack out, which is something that the other – tough and defensive team in the league uh, that's not LA hasn't figured out. Um, so, which I think that's going to help them. I don't know if it helps them this week, but it helps them the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I guess well, it may be a brutal late, but I mean, I'm not that high on some of these teams that they face next. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I actually, one last thing for me on this game is um, one of the other questions I asked after this one, or after the game against Seattle was um, they seem to actually do better on sudden change offense than they actually do running their normal offense. I, actually, I believe I said something that to that effect to um, head coach Scott Lawrence and his response was they spend, he thinks they spend an inordinate amount of time on defense, but that's gotten, that's gotten them better at seeing those attacking lanes and allowing them to plow through them. 
Interesting approach. <laughs> We're defending so much that we figured out how to attack. <laughs> well, I mean, they have a full-time, they have a straight-up full-time attack coach. So whereas some teams don't or only have two coaches or maybe only have one. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit harder to, like, prepare everyone when you only have one or one and a half. Um, but um, so moving on to next week. Uh, Toronto at New England. This is going to be interesting. I really think that Toronto needed the buy. Um, I think they will be, they needed to get healthy, um, in certain parts. And they just go in nine straight weeks, especially basically away from home. Yeah, they're all living in Atlanta for the season, but it's basically, um, a road trip. Um, you know, I, I want like the uh, commemorative. Uh, Atlanta Arrows uh, scarf that has like a pierced peach on it. That'd be pretty cool. I keep telling, I keep telling them this. Like frozen peach. They're, like they're, they're really missing some merch ideas for this season right now, but um, hopefully it happens. Uh, but you know, I I just especially towards the their last game, which they got the win. I, um, New England's been hard to pick. And I think just with how the different weapons that Toronto will be able to bring, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's a New England home game, and I think they might be at full capacity this weekend, which will make it interesting. But they are – like Poland was kicking for New England. He's been I doing think, that all, all Poland has not kicked sticks yet. And this is like – American fly, American qualified fly half, starting to show a lot of things that he can do. Like I think he's grown a lot in this season, but we need to he needs to be the one kicking points. Um, really, uh, I think they've given up, or maybe just, no one can get. I, I don't know. I think whether it's Poland or Waka, they've not been very successful off the tee, and they've given up a lot of points from there. Um, so. Yeah, and speaking, maybe you just didn't qualify, but speaking of call-ups, who's one person who was not called up was Boyle. So. Yeah, so there you go. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm just I'm gonna the steady hand that is the older Canadian and Argentinian and Uruguayan team. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them probably say minus three. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Like I mentioned before, I think New England really thrives on creating chaos and then operating in that chaos. And I think such a seasoned team and a, you know another really solid fundamental team like Toronto is going to be tough to shake them that way. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure what New England's going to do if they can't shake Toronto. So I think I do think I'm going to say Toronto by six, and I think that's going to really tank. I mean, how does New England make the playoffs in the East? If they're in last place and they're zero, and they start zero and five in the Eastern Conference, and that's going to be a pretty deep hill to climb from. Well, they're not. They're not in last place right now. It might be next week. But they are in last place right now. Well, it's uh, let's let's pull this up. Definitely, DC was in last. Definitely no. season four. Oh yeah! Wow, DC is fourth in the East. Wow, yeah. Also, you have to look at how unlucky Toronto is 
but that that's also just because all of their points came from two matches. They're plus fifty five in point differential, which is even with Atlanta, but they're fifth. Yeah. yeah, they're the worst record, but the best point differential, which is conversely New York. Decent record, horrible try differential. Best record in the conference. Yeah. Horrible, horrible point differential. At some point, they're going to get eaten, um, and it's going to be before the playoffs. Uh, so, I, so you know, Toronto's coming off the bye. They'll they'll get a little rusty in the first half, but they'll pick it up. I have them winning by ten. Okay, okay. Uh, Houston at San Diego, Josh. Man, I don't know. Like, it's always tough to pick because both these teams, like you, are bad. Are bad, but like, no. Uh, look at look at what San Diego did to Nola last or two weeks ago. That was a beating. What was it? it was thirty-seven to? There was a forty-seven. Pauses. I don't remember yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, but thirty-seven, thirteen. Yeah, and like just looking at the standings, I mean, the point differentials like they're bad. San Diego is minus forty-seven. Houston is minus ninety-one. But if you look at the try differential, it's even worse. San Diego is minus three in the try differential. Houston is minus eighteen. Like, yeah, it's bad. Like, I don't. I I picked San Diego by eleven. Oof! Because right. like it's in Chula Vista under the sun. Pre Boyer era. I mean, Boyer showing that team. I think has really changed what Houston can do. Uh, I don't love Windsor at fifteen though. I, I I'm going to actually guess that that is not where he plays this week. I just don't think that particular experiment is working. I, I don't think it's the, an experiment. I think yeah. he was put there because they have an injury. Um, and they are thin. Wow, it's still an experiment, and I'm going to guess that they're going to find someone else to play 15 injuries or no this week. Just a guess. I have no idea, but I, I would love to see Boyer and Windsor at 9-10 for once and see oh, if they actually do something. Nice. Um, so you can put Povey back to 15 because he's played a lot of 15. Um, the question is what you do at at uh 12, 13, really. Um. Well, you, but they, they, Lottie didn't do what I thought he was going to do last week. He didn't do what I thought he was going to do the last two weeks, really. Well, they they Houston has put both of the Fijians at the center at least for a game or two, so that was that's been an option. Yeah, but I mean, let's be serious. We've seen that at, at Houston for years. There was only one person that created plays, and that was Windsor. And now there's two, and that's Boyer and Windsor. Which is great. The other players can finish plays, but I think they need they need Windsor creating plays, and he doesn't get enough ball at fifteen to do that. Uh, so I, I I'd love to see him. I, I would take him at twelve, but I'd love to see him at ten. I, I just feel like a nine ten Boyer Windsor could really be an upgrade for them. Uh, so let's see what happens. But I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I will see what the lineup is. But I'm gonna, I want to say Houston by two. Houston by two, man. Um. I think if Joe Peterson plays, I, I really liked what I saw from Ethan McVay. Um, they seem kind of healthy in some parts of the roster. Seem kind of help healthy and I mean not healthy in others. If Joe Peterson plays like he did the last game, uh, it might be ugly for Houston. <laughs> you know, 
really depends on the sort of exper- the next experiment that Houston puts out on the field. Uh, I would say comfortable eight-point win for San Diego. All right. I love when we have different opinions. Makes the show exciting. Um, so LA will travel to Atlanta. Uh, it is at the 8 o'clock hour on um, Saturday nights. Uh, I think what we'll get is similar to what we got last when last midweek. Uh, it will be high quality. It will be highly impactful. Someone is going to come off the pitch in a stretcher. Um, and, uh, LA got, uh, basically an extra four days of rest. So think they get held to the tightest margin that they've had. I don't know. They lost to New York. You mean, um, I'm talking about them in a win. Okay. Not a, not, not not in a loss, uh, but if a team can beat them, I definitely think New York has no business beating them again. <laughs> um, but if a team can beat them that's on form, it is Atlanta. I agree. Uh, I think this is the best. Yeah, this is it. Do we all agree this is the highest probability of LA losing again during the regular season? Yeah. Because the only other one that I thought was a possibility was Austin. And it was a question of could Austin score enough? Because I knew they could hold, I knew they could make it so LA couldn't score much. But the question, but I thought the answer to that question was pretty simple that Austin's attack still sucked. Um, So I haven't, we haven't seen Atlanta's attack against an opponent of this level consistently. So I'm going to say L.A. in a win by seven. Oh, man. Oh, man, this is an epic. I can't wait to see this match. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to pick Atlanta here. Uh, I'm going to be cheering for Atlanta if for no other reason than just – I would love to get the pick wrong. Yeah, but uh, – I don't know. I do think the extra rest uh, is really going to help LA here. And um, Austin, you know, did uh, Austin Atlanta? I don't, don't want to say it was an easy match against Seattle, but you know, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a nail biter that they're going to be exhausted from. So they, they have that going for them. You know, I just man, I uh, I'd love to think that Scott Lawrence can devise a game plan to frustrate LA the way that I think New York's game plan did a few weeks ago. But I mean, LA did learn from that, it seems. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say LA by three. I guess I'm the outlier of LA by 14. Uh, you know, wow, you're not going to be invited to the press conferences anymore. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not going to be at the one this week. So, but uh, you know, Atlanta plays that physical style of defense. They rush up. They put two guys on the tackle. They try to get the ruck, but, you know, that sometimes can leave them exposed, as, you know, we saw with New York. Um, I think L.A. runs their their attack so precisely and so consistently that 
I think they're one of the few teams that can take advantage of, the, of those openings that Atlanta leaves them. So, you know, I think that they'll be able to break them down enough. You know, it, I, I would love to be wrong. I would love for Atlanta to win this game. But, you know, I, I just – I can't I, – I, until somebody shows me that they can slow down L.A. besides New York, which seemed to be – like, I think the wind – I'm going to blame the win for LA's loss, but you know, until someone shows me that they can actually compete with LA, I, you have to take LA. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the deal. Um, and then moving on to the, the late night match, we've got Josh Austin at Utah. What do you think? You know, I'll be at this game. I'll be, taking pictures for your full dirt. So we'll, we'll get some of those out to everyone. But, you know, it, it's an interesting game. It's literally going to be for second place. Um, both teams are tied at 26. Um, so, you know, because um, what was the what was the um, scoreline from the first matchup? Does anyone points lost by two. This second uh, kick came just they, they tried to kick a 55-meter yeah. um, penalty. And they were short by like three meters. And, you know, I think both both teams have definitely gotten better. Austin still still has to figure out their attack, though. Utah has to figure out their defense. So maybe one thing one thing or another will have to give. But uh, I took um, I took Austin by one. You know, I think I it's tough to pick, especially at that altitude. But I think Austin is capable of holding teams enough, and especially if they, if, they, if they have the right players on the field, attacking enough to pull out almost any win. Yeah, I think uh, I think I like Austin in this one too. I mean, Utah obviously has played great games and had games where they struggled to execute. Um, I think Austin defense is going to put them under a lot of pressure and. Uh, we're going to see if they're able to to be the yeah you know, be flipped on as opposed to off in the execution department. Uh, but uh, I think I do think Austin is just in general playing a little better overall right now. Utah has a handful of weapons that are really good, but uh, as a, as a team, I'm not sure that they're playing you know super dangerously across the board. I mean, Bosca, Taya, Lance Williams are. are are playing well, but you know, I'm not super impressed with the rest of Utah right now. So I think that Austin's going to be able to keep them pretty low scoring. So I'm going to say Austin by four. So what is the least amount of points that Utah scored this season? Um, I don't know. It's against Austin. Tell us. 19. Um, no, against Austin, they scored 30. Um, oh, wow, really? I thought it was much lower than that. 22 uh, against, like, New England or something, 21. Um, 15 20. against Seattle. Seattle. Hey, you're not supposed to look. You're looking. Yeah, because I'm asking the questions. <laughs> you didn't even have the answer yet. Look up before you No, I had the answer. It was 15 points to Seattle. Now, um, just to go into this, the most points scored, so the common opponent, which is interesting, the most points scored by – uh, Austin against an opponent is 42 against Seattle. So um, Utah has the ability to score a lot of points and often, 
Uh, Austin seems to be hovering around like 16 points average. I think they have a chance, but I don't know. I think I'm going Utah here a little bit, probably a bounce back. Uh, they were in position. They were in a position where they could have won their last game, but didn't. They played well against LA, even though they lost. Three points to the home side, where I'm going. Plus altitude, so probably helps them out. Utah needs this win too. I feel like Utah's another team that has a real tough schedule. Uh, well, I guess not that tough. They they do host LA and rugby and travel to New York uh, in the last few weeks. So if they want to keep pace with Austin. They have you know, some pretty tough ones out there. Actually, Austin have a get right game immediately following. So I I kind of want to see that Utah LA matchup though. I kind of want to see the Giltini's offense at altitude. You know, um, all right, final game, New York at D.C., Craig. Uh, I mean, exciting one that New York and D.C. played um, in New York earlier this year. New York won a pretty tight match. You know, presumably, I don't think we have official word, but I would suspect Fontenot Schultz is going to be suspended for this week. Uh, that's a big hit for that. I mean, I think he's, he's a big part of that team, especially the forward pack. Um, still, you know, uh, you know, the Robertson Tusitala combo is pretty deadly, and New York is missing some players too. I think Dan Hollinshead is going to be out, uh, for them. Nick Savetta may be out, you know, he left with injury. I, I'm not sure, I haven't heard anything in terms of an update there, but um, I seem like that could be an injury that costs him some time. So, um, both sides may be missing some key pieces. I think DC has. A full capacity allowance for this game, I believe. This will be a home game where they could fill the stands. Uh, you know, COVID-wise, they're not going to be restricted. Um, you know, they're they had been in last for a while. They're moving up the table. Um, I think they're really going to come fired up into this game. So I think it's going to be pretty close. Uh, I think if if most of New York's pack is healthy, uh, they're going to have an advantage in the set piece. Uh, and without Fanana Schultz, I feel like the forwards in New York may be able to um, establish a big advantage for, for New York overall gameplay-wise. So I'm going to say New York by two. I don't believe in either of your tie heads. So um, <laughs> straight up. I think they both have not been playing very well. I don't. But the cool thing about this season is, is we have an experimental scrum law where you Stupid can't really scrum well, is in New England like 79% scrum wins. So if any yeah. team are New England, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Oh, what's old glory? They're like uh, I mean, you you did lose ever like you were your your differential between scrums won to scrums lost against New England was was quite stark. How you won that game if we're looking at set pieces and turnovers and penalties is is beyond me, but whatever, don't really care. Um, Pretty close. New York, New York Old Glory is New York's ninety-one percent scrum, and Old Glory is eighty-nine. So, ba- yeah, basically, even I, I don't really. I think that Old Glory scrum has the ability to perform well, and then the next day they're non-existent, and that may happen here. Um, I in the lineout, I think 
if they don't have Mungo Mason, if Mungo Mason's not back, and I'm I'm very fairly certain that Jameis is going to be suspended at least one week because the red card happened in the 70th minute. So you can't say, hey, it wasn't that bad um, because he was out for almost the whole game as if the card had happened at 10 minutes. So um, he's probably going to get suspended one at least one game. I would think it's probably going to be three, actually. Um, but they're also down Mungo Mason – they, which they have been the past couple weeks, they're down a high work rate player. They're down their captain. Um, it's it's going to be interesting um, for DC. Uh, I think the the Robertson Tusitala machine is starting to roll, and I think the back line, even with some injuries, is starting to roll as well. But. I would still eh, – probably New York by three. I think Harry Bennett is going to shine in his second game starting at fly half uh, for New York. And I, I I do agree with you, Craig, that I do think we have the edge in the forwards. If, if DC is still not healthy and Jamison uh, gets suspended, you definitely have an edge there. And then I think you have uh, – the just overall continuity, you may have it. Um, but yeah, two points to New York is where I'm going. I may have missed it, but what happened to Hollington? He got uh, hit like yeah. uh, after a kick a couple weeks ago, I think it was, and he's uh, dislocated his shoulder, I think. Yeah. Injured it indefinitely, is what I've been told. Yeah, right. I made my pick as I always do without taking anything into consideration. <laughs> I went New York by nine. Um, you know, right. Old Glory barely got by. Form, huh? Old Glory barely got by Houston. Um, New York probably should have beaten New England by more than they did. And I, I think that's a combination of things that's, you know, to me, New York will probably win by more, but I'm picking them by nine. I like it. All right. Um, on to some questions. Benjamin Haswell, who was on the stream earlier, asked which MLR team will potentially suffer the most from the absence of their players with the Eagles squad. Well, the most players on the 41-man was New Orleans, and that was five. So potentially New Orleans could suffer the most. Uh, I think – Utah had four. Gary Gold has said New York, that the worst case scenario for any team would be five players are gone and they had no intention of pulling five players from a team. Um, so they get, so a player gets rewarded for their effort by being named to the, the 41 man training squad, which there is going to be no training because it's in the middle of the MLR season. Um, and we'll see how they go the rest of the season. Um, interesting names overall. Uh, I thought Andrew Guerra is a really good shout. Uh, high work rate player. Um, probably just off the pace for rookie of the year. I think Mooneyham is basically far and away your, your rookie of the year out of this draft class. But I think Andrew Guerra has impressed quite a lot. He, uh, 
earned a starting spot over, you know, Devin Short and has basically kept it uh, since he started the first game um, for New Orleans. So uh, I think that's a good shout. Cruze would be nice to have him finally get capped. I think his just performance and his physicality uh, and his running style and his vision has been pretty amazing for Utah and it's been, it's been needed. Um, yeah. I don't know how we measure rookies exactly, but I think Ryan James is also in the, if we don't count. Ryan James is not a rookie. He played like one game for Colorado. Played right? for Colorado. That still, you know, in most sports is like a rookie minimum. If you have less than a hundred at bats. No, like in, in, in the NFL, you pl- this is not baseball. Um, where you have like service time and whatnot. He played, he was on a roster in a season and he may not, have, he may have played one game, but he was a rookie once. He doesn't get to be a rookie twice. Sophomore well, I season, sure. I, I mean, in the NFL, if a guy rides the pine and he's active on the 53 man for his rookie year, he doesn't get to be um, a rookie the next year when he breaks out, you know, come on now. Let's have some statements. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I have a feeling, again, no no knowledge, just a guess that of Nola's five, you know, you may only see two or three actually make the squad. I mean, Cam Dolan is probably a lock to make the final team. The rest, I think, are all kind of borderline. So you, you may, even though they have the most now, you, they may very well not uh, have the most or even close to the most come final cuts. Um, New York, certainly, you would think that almost all, if not all of theirs, are going to be picked. Uh, so that, that could be very damaging for them. I don't, I don't think all, um, unless the, the amount of people, unless the selections are two. Yeah, um, I don't think, I think yeah, we'll be all of theirs is my guess for New York. But uh, we also don't know the Canadian roster. So Toronto, well, we have no information now, may end up getting the worst of it uh, between South American and Canadian teams. So, uh, you know, I, I actually have a feeling Toronto is ultimately going to do the worst for international call-ups. Yeah, Toronto's going to get Toronto's going to get the shaft. That is for sure. Um, hey, as long as we're on the on the subject, who who do you think's the biggest miss? Like to miss out, like to because to me it's Jason Dom. Yeah, I mean that's an easy one. You know, Jason Dom. Boyle um, is a. I was. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised. surprised. I have not. I mean. I think he's really young. I haven't seen the thing that we really need, and that's goal kicking. Um, because we Luke have, Cardi's not even starting. Uh, so Luke you know. Cardi started in in the game. He started. He played extremely well. I don't think you've had the same level of impact from Boyle to where he would get called up because we have. Um, obviously, some of these guys are older, but we have three tens that are fit right now in McGee, uh, Aj McGinty, and Will Hooley. So you don't really need to call up another one, although you're calling up Cardi. I don't know. Um, and I I don't think Boyle was available. They don't have another 10. I mean, so you make it 41. Turridge Rocky, Samu Samu Vodra uh, just got here. So maybe he's like – He's played a lot of 10. He probably slides in as the backup. But before he landed, they didn't have another 10. 
Um, they had Bodine Waka, who was a fullback, can, who can play 10, but they didn't have another one. So, I mean – I yeah. thought we might get more locks in the 41 man. You know, there wasn't really much where well, I think there were three total locks. Uh Breakley, so, Savetta, or Peterson. Oh, and oh, Peterson, yeah. Probably near the third, a fifth. Um I think Jackson I think Jackson Thebes has had a great season at lock yeah. for New England. Um he would be a good shout to go. Um People were asking about Landry. I was like, Landry's been back three games, two games, and one looked okay. One looked not really there. So I think he needs to get back in rugby shape, um, and he'll probably get called for qualifiers. I mean, what, what about someone like Dodson? Dodson is, as far as I know, a year away from being eligible. Because the while he was in college, the rule changed. So he, I don't think he's been here. I think he's got one more year um, to be eligible. Um, ooh, as a flanker, who I think that has been having a great year, that is eligible, Michael Dewall. But he left this last game with a pretty bad injury. Hopefully, he's all right. Um, so. Yeah, I always feel Kyle Sumption gets overlooked in these conversations, but uh, again, he's the guy who's not starting for his team, so yeah, I guess tough to make that argument. I'm glad Record Hatting is getting a look at least at the 41 man level. I thought, you know, again, another position I thought um, we might get a, a, a little more experimentation. They have found on a Schultz, though, they have him listed as a flanker, whatever that's worth. Uh, but I think the only two people listed as eight are Cam Dolan and uh, Record Hatting. Yeah. But I think I've I look at like if Riker gets the opportunity to play a game and Cam Dolan's fit, Riker's either on the bench or he's playing six. And I just look from a balance perspective, what will Hadding's work rate be as a six? Because um, we need guys who just tackle. Yeah, I don't think I want Riker as a six. I, I mean, I, I you know. Let's see uh, what their form is like at the international level. But, I mean, based on the MLR season, I'm I'm not sure Cam Dolan is my starter at eight right now. Yeah, I mean, he's getting up there. I don't you – know, he's playing okay. He's had some good games. I don't think he's contributing as much to his team as Riker Hatting is to the Seawolves. Uh, I so. don't think – I mean, I think Riker's having a consistent season, but I don't think he's having the season where he's able to push out the knocked-on starter at number eight to the bench um, at all. Um, so if we look at what – if you look at the numbers, go look at the numbers, and uh, Sam Dolan's doing pretty good. Um, but, yeah, Jason Dom, I think if you look at as far as number eights and who's really raised their hand, I think that's a – that's a miss. Um, and maybe he wasn't available, although they have Deacon. So they have an eight. And they have Damon Torres. So they have other I think, guys. I think Damon's still out with an injury. Okay. Along with Connor Cook. Okay. Um, so then they're kind of thin right now in the back row. Okay. Makes sense. Um, Scott Ferreira asks, um, with the time Hewitt is going to get, does he make qualifiers? Um, guys get injured. Um, on this camp, 
and games, uh, I think Hewitt gets a look. I mean, he's quali- U.S. qualified now, ready to go. Um, I would like to – we need someone that big to go in the engine room. So, um, but, um, yeah. And then moving on to the Twitter questions, Martin Cullen asks uh, – you can find him at Martin Cullen – what point do we expect MLR app to an MLR broadcast to correct left center and right center to their proper names inside center and outside center? Well, I said um, spell the spell center correctly, and then we can have a conversation. And then he's like, then he responded, "I knew I should have spelled American." Uh, ha ha ha! Um, I haven't noticed this. Is this a thing? Because I haven't noticed it. Where do you read the positions in the app? I haven't even looked, to be honest. I mean, squad. I look at, let's see here. I, I never knew, like, I always knew there was 12 and 13, but I didn't know that they were actually different positions because I felt they were interchangeable. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in theory, they're different, uh, especially if you play the, the second 5-8 position, at, uh, a second fly half at 12. They're different. Um, generally, you can have two types of twelves, uh, either a distributor or a uh, a crash baller, and then thirteens more of a like a third wing or a crash baller. So, yeah, it does say right center if you look at like Fuatai's position on the app. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I've never even attempted to do that before. So, uh, yeah, that, that is a weird term, though. They should update that. A- after they're done changing lineouts one on the website, the MLR website, to lineout percentage, like yeah. what am I supposed to take from lineouts one? Like the number oh, add, of add, add, lineout, add lineout percentage. Don't, don't take away lineouts one, um, but add lineout percentage. Uh, the next question from Life Love Rugby. Um, what other content would you like to see on the TRN? Uh, I want to see Rock like this, obviously. Rock justice for one. Um, uh, <laughs> well, hey, we got this. We got uh, CRC this week. Uh, yeah. So you're gonna have some. NCR May Madness Sevens uh, this week. So you have some collegiate rugby being platformed onto the network. So that's cool. I was thinking replays of the international matches, since we know those will be locked up by flow, but maybe we can get uh, a non-live replay at least on TRN. Yeah, right. Uh, What I've been wanting, I think Rooney has done a a solid job with some shorts on inside Rooney. Um, But like a, a hard knocks or all or nothing type show is what we've been missing, which is what uh, the UFC had with the ultimate fighter for a very long time. And that was on spike for a very long time. Um, hey, it's yeah. still going. The ultimate fighter or spike, the ultimate fighter is the on ultimate the fighter. It's on paramount, but the or, ultimate no, it's on ESPN plus. So the reality yeah. show is still going. Ultimate yeah. Fighter? Yeah. Yeah. And then they and there are still cards coming out of the Ultimate Fighter that end up on ESPN. Like the the finale will be a pretty big card, um, but you know, like something like that is what we're kind of missing. 
Yeah, I love it. That's a great idea. We definitely need a, a ultimate, like a reality show for uh, you know some American guy trying to you know make it in the MLR. What was what was that? Um, I'll say what was that series that um, the Olympics put on or whatever? Pioneer oh, Olympic hopeful. Yeah, the next Olympic hopeful, like yeah. something like that. Maybe some like more team focused content too. Not even just like that uh, hard knocks type of stuff. Dude, I don't know, just something. Just do inside MLR, like we have so inside access, but inside MLR where it's one episode per team per week, something like that. Or yeah, maybe like take like an hour or something a week and like talk, we, like we, an we hour per. More, we need more Noxy content. All right, how about like uh, <laughs> I want videos. I want a ten minute show per week of Noxy stuff. <laughs> I have a videos of the socials after the matches, like boat races and uh well the socials aren't happening this year, so yeah. I wonder. Um uh the most you're getting is if you play old glory, the the captain's whiskey bottle that gets exchanged. <laughs> the have you ordered one yet, Aaron? What? You can order um Oh yeah, I haven't ordered one now. Um, I I thought about ordering the commemorative one, but it's two hundred bucks. And I, I mean, I have I don't drink a lot, but I have a lot of bottles. <laughs> so if you guys want to come to the house, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, and then best rookie thus far from Life Love Rugby. I thought I uh, sort of talked about that earlier. Um, I think it's I think it's Mooneyham, and behind him it's probably Guerra for me. And then I think Justin Johnson has had a very good season. He's I think he's started every game but one for New England. He hasn't had eye popping numbers, but he has been just a physical freak and very consistent uh, for New England. But the the two that really stick out for me are. Um, Mooneyham and Guerra. Ellingson is start. Ellingson, I think, was it his first start this last weekend? Because he was on the bench uh, another two games. Tim Moppin stopped him from getting killed. What a gentleman Tim Moppin is. You know, quite the gentleman. I, I do agree that Connor Mooneyham is probably rookie of the year, but you know, someone who makes an impact. And, and on film makes you pay attention to him is Aaron Matthews from Seattle. Oh, like he, he's bright, been a bright spot. For I don't him. understand why he's not like consistently starting. He is like, he just brings a lot of skills that you don't see with a lot of American players. And he's a little undersized as, as a wing, even at this level, but his just ball awareness, his passing, um, just, and what he does defensively, he's like he's solid in the tackle and then very quick and he's able to jackal pretty well. It's been and maybe he's been injured, because I know he was injured for part of this season, but I'm I I agree with you. Um I mean, Craig, I know New York doesn't have any rookies except Buckley and we haven't seen much of him. Yeah. I mean, again, it's always hard to like rookies meaning they never played professionally anywhere else either. Uh yeah, I mean, I you know, Mooneyham is, I think, the obvious choice. If, if we're counting Ryan with his one game or two games, or it was in Colorado, if we're not counting him, uh, yeah, I can't really think of anyone else that comes to mind. Um, Gieselman started to get a couple of minutes for uh, Utah. 
Who did? We've been playing off the bench pretty consistently. Um, but it's just eye popping is uh, Mooneyham and Garrett, I think. And then, um, you know who I'm surprised we haven't heard much from after we complimented him in the preseason? Um, Danny Gion's, uh, oh, is he gone? He is, yeah, selling mortgages in Maryland. Kind of sad. Like he had skills. I I think that when they had Schulte leave the field, like I think that he would have saw like significant amount of time already for Utah. I don't know if he would be starting, but I think he would have played in every game because like Schulte, because they are very thin at fly half, and I mean very thin. Um, has basically played every single minute until there was that game he was injured and then this game, which he came off before he got injured. <laughs> so I um, think that about wraps it up for us, guys. Uh, so, um, Josh, are you going to write a preview this week? I'll try. It'll be – I'm traveling on Friday, so we'll see. Mm. So, all right, folks, uh, you can catch us at Earful of Dirt on everywhere except TikTok because, um, well, I'm a curm- curmudgeon, Craig's too old, and Josh doesn't have time. Um, I could really figure out this function, let alone TikTok. <laughs> well, I um, hope everyone has a, a great end to their week and uh, enjoy some rugby uh, this weekend. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.